back at Talk for Freedom with Cece. And I'm Chuck. And today's segment is going to be human trafficking and persons with disabilities. We've got some information that we want to share with you uh, just from our experiences and things that we've come to learn and hopefully share some good resources with you as well. Mm -hmm. So today we want to talk to you about you know, human trafficking and persons with disabilities and just, you know, what kind of numbers are out there, Cece? Were you able to find any information on that? Actually, no. Um, I've done a little bit of research on maybe what some numbers might be that show, you know, children or people with disabilities being trafficked. And I have not seen any numbers, which leads me to believe that one, you know, we haven't done a good job of capturing that, but two, um, there really isn't a big difference with any person being trafficked and any person with disabilities being trafficked. They're probably, as we know, um, traffickers go out for those that are vulnerable, right? And they mm -hmm. try to lure them into trafficking. And so this places people with disabilities under that vulnerable umbrella. And see, anyone can be vulnerable. Any one of us could have a vulnerability, whether it's homelessness or economically disadvantaged or lack of connections in the community due to loss of family. You have foster children, you have runaways, you have people that have recently moved to a new area. And of course, you have persons that may accept, experience disabilities in their life. Just because they have a disability doesn't mean they're necessarily, you know, more vulnerable, but it's a vulnerability that a trafficker can exploit. So really, anyone could be a trafficking victim. I have actually an interesting story. Um, I actually experienced, experienced, I actually worked with a victim who had a disability. And the interesting part about it is that her disability actually made it harder for her to be identified initially. So what had happened was, is that this young lady was a teenager going to high school and her parents were divorced. Well, her father remarried and her new stepmother had an 18-year-old son who moved in with them. Well, this 18-year-old son began to molest this teenage girl. And when she told her father and her stepmother about it, and of course told her school counselor, that's when the stepmother became concerned that her son was going to be charged with a crime, and therefore she threw the girl out. She actually threw the girl out and told everybody she had run away. So this girl uh, was, had a slight learning disability. She was very intelligent, but she had a slight learning disability. And part of that was is because she was deaf in one ear and partially deaf in the other ear. So when she talked, her speech was kind of slurred. Wow. Yeah. So after she had run after she had been thrown out of the house, she had nowhere to go. Of course, homelessness is a making you at high risk of someone coming up. Yeah, I have somewhere for you to stay. I'm gonna hook you up with my friends. And that's exactly what happened to this scenario. I don't want to get into too many details. Right. But eventually she's being sold as a sex trafficking victims being worked as a sex worker. While the police are watching this hotel one day and they see this young lady kind of out of a hotel room, she gets into a car with three adults in it and she hands them money because she had recently just turned a trick, mm -hmm. handed them the money for the trick. The police thought that was a drug situation, so they went in there, stopped the vehicle, searched the vehicle, didn't find any narcotics, but of course, identified everyone in the vehicle, and that's when they ran her name and said, oh, well, she's a missing person. She's a runaway. And they took her down to the police station. Well, once she gets to the police station, she's trying to communicate that she's not just she's not a runaway, but that she actually had been thrown out and that she's been forced to engage in sex with strangers. Right. 
But because of the fact the way she talked with the slurred speech, mm -hmm. the officers automatically assumed that she was mentally challenged. Mm -hmm. When she wasn't at right. all. Yeah. And that she was just having a fit. Out that and that's me in the background. No. <laughs> That's the voice in my head. <laughs> no, so what they what they the officers assumed that maybe she was mentally challenged and that she was having kind of a fit. Well, she was making enough noise that a special victims detective and myself were called up to the missing person. She needed to talk with this young lady. And that's when she began to explain to us what had happened to her. Well, she gave a lot of information that turned into a very big case. And that very day. The officers were told, go back out there and go get those other people, follow up on these leads. Other, other victims got rescued. Several people got incarcerated and lots of crimes were identified through that young lady's testimony. And that young lady helped create a case that eventually had both state and federal ramifications as far as this area. So that goes to show they didn't necessarily target her because of her disability, but she was vulnerable because of her homelessness and her disability made her that much more at risk once she was in that experience where she was homeless. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, good for her for not, you know, allowing her disability to become the thing that helped her and other people. Because um, I can't imagine how scary it must be, one, that you're misunderstood mm -hmm. and trying to get your story out there and just because you don't sound like other people do, being ignored or silenced or even just, you know, put aside. Um, but good for her for, you know, making enough chatter to where someone's attention um, was, was you know, someone came out and actually said, let's, let's listen to what she may have to share. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's a really good lesson for all of us, right? Not just people in law enforcement, but just anybody. If someone's trying to say something to you. And just because you're not understanding, you know, try to listen for things that you that do sound familiar. Maybe get somebody else to come in and help you discern what it is that they're trying to say. I agree. So that's all part of learning how to communicate. And sometimes communication isn't just simply verbal communication or sound. You know, there's sign language. There's nonverbal communication skills that we teach people. And in particular, we call those red flags. And that's one of the things I keep referring back to is the red flags products I have with Third Millennium Classroom. Mm -hmm. Learning to identify those things that you see and that you hear that may indicate you have a trafficking scenario. And you can learn more of that on my website. You can actually go to the red flags link. But as parents with, of children with disabilities, how do you keep your child from falling in those situations? Well, we have to understand the opposite of exploitation is connections. Mm -hmm. So it's very important as a parent of someone with a disability that you make sure that they stay connected. And I know parents with disabilities are usually looking at, parents of children with disabilities are usually looking at a lifetime of having to do extra things to work with their, their child. Right. So, you know, once the child has some form of independence, I'm sure it's a huge relief. I know when my children who don't have disabilities left home, there was a lot of relief there. Right. So I can just imagine how much more it would be for a parent with a child with disabilities. However, you need to make sure they maintain connection. And when we say connection, that means things like making sure that they have the ability to communicate what's going on in their life. Sure. Having appropriate friends. And when they have friends, it might be necessary for the parent and other relatives to make sure that they know not only the friends, but they know the friends caregivers also too. Right. Super important. Right. 
and this is with a child of any age or even an adult with disability, right. you know, depending on what their disability is, whether it's physical or mentally challenged, having an idea who their caregivers are and, you know, what's going on with the caregiver's connection with that person and the person's friends. Anytime that you have a situation where you're starting to see behavioral changes in your loved ones after they have new kind of connections in their life, you have to look into what's going on with those behavioral changes and why is that changing once they have a new connection in their life. Sure. And identifying these changes and then addressing that through open communication channels yeah. is just one way we can help protect our loved ones, whether they have a disability or not. Right. I think that's super important you said that because, yes, these are all things that we should be doing regardless of whether our child has a disability or not. But these are just some pointers that we know need to be really, really honed in on and focused on um, when you do have a child who has a disability. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it comes to uh, today's world, the way things are, it's, it's a case of you have to learn how to do the things that are involved with today's forms of communication. And so much communication occurs on social media. So as a parent of both a child that has disabilities and a child that doesn't have disabilities, it's very important to actually become a parent detective. Right. And that means you've got to learn what social media is and how to use it. So Cece, I know you know how to use social media. <laughs> I do. Does that make your children upset? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll admit I actually have every single one of their social media accounts on my phone along with mine. And so I can look in at any time and they know that. Do you think that curves their behavior online? Absolutely. So, and do you think that they would be more tempted to go out and do things maybe they should be doing online because of the anonymity if they didn't know that mom was looking over their shoulder? Absolutely. So there's a lot of parents out there that may disagree with you, Cece. They may say it's an invasion of their privacy. How do you respond to that? first of all, as their mom, right, their, their device is a privilege. It's not some, it's not a right. And the other thing is, um, I don't want to be that parent that is crying over something that happened that I know I could have prevented or helped with. Um, and, and really, you know, I think it just, it's a lot of respect too, is learning to have respect for yourself that you can't really teach unless you're helping to guide them. And for me, that's monitoring their accounts. It's having enough respect for my children learning self-respect by saying, would I do this in front of mom or not? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm very honest with them and I tell them, once I feel like you're at a point where I don't need to monitor you, I'm just gonna come off. I'm not even gonna tell you about it. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna come off. And, and they know that. So I think they strive to earn that. Whenever mom's not watching, it's, we've done well. <laughs> right. And it's all part of teaching them responsibility, don't you think? Exactly. Yeah. So with, whether your child has disabilities or not, you have to be able to teach them the responsibilities. And, but you have to know how to use social media to do that. Right. And it's like anything else, right? You guide them and you teach them how to ride a bike. You guide them and you teach them to learn to walk. I, don't, I wouldn't just throw my child out there, you know, in front of the world to learn to teach themselves to walk. So why would I do that with social media? I mean, there's a world out there that we don't know about. A huge world. 
So for parents that go like, well, that's just them texting back and forth with their friends, a few clicks here and a few clicks there. It's harmless because, you know, they're doing it in the living room while I'm standing there. Don't you, do you agree with that? Uh, you know, I do, I do want them to learn to be on their own. So texting, I do allow. And what I do to, to help monitor that is like, I just at random times pick up their phone and just go through it. Mm -hmm. I don't even tell them, but they know what they expect it. So they know at some point, they don't know when mom's going to grab my phone and go through it. Um, you know, and they're not allowed to delete conversations. That's just my rule. I'm not saying that that's, everybody should do that, but that's my rule. And so I can see the conversations that they've had with other people and I can ask questions. There's been times where I'm like, who is this person and why were you even responding? Because it's like an unknown number. They don't have saved. And someone is saying something like, hey, how are you? And they respond with fine. And it's like, do you even know who this person is? No. And that's what I teach them a lesson and say, okay, you don't respond to people that you just don't know. So it's, it's turned out to be a good thing for us. It's turned out to be a great learning response, a learning opportunity for them. Right. Because, you know, we taught, we were, I mean, my age group, we were taught, you don't get in the van with the guy with the puppy and the candy, <laughs> right? But today it would be what you're teaching your kids is that you don't talk to the person who hits you up with a, hey, how you doing online? Because that person could be anybody, right? Right. So it's a little bit about being detective, being a parent. You can't monitor their social media accounts unless you actually know how to use the social media accounts. And yeah. I'll be the first one to say, oh, really? Another app has come out. I got to go <laughs> learn this thing. Yeah. But, and then there's so many social media avenues that it's, you know, they always want the newest thing that's out. They may not even know how to use it themselves, but they just want it because everyone else is, is trying it out too. And so you, you've just got to go in there and just, even if you're not actively going to use it, you know, just kind of play with it. You're not going to break it. Just play with it. See what it's all about. If you're going to allow your child to be on there, you at least want to have a good sense of what it is. Is it just pictures? Is it conversations? Is it both? Is it FaceTiming? Is it videos? You know, what, what is it? What does it do? Right. So one of the things I do with my kiddos, and you can do this with a child with disabilities or, or even a child that doesn't have disabilities, is when I had it, there was a new app that was out there, a new form of social media. If I didn't know what I was doing, I'd actually ask my child, ask one of my daughters, hey, there's this new thing, and I want to talk to my friends on it. Can you show me how to use it? Could you think about your child with disabilities actually teaching you how to use a new application or social media? When they're teaching you how to use it, they're actually showing you the tricks that they use when they use it. Yeah. So you know what to monitor for. Right. And it empowers them, too. They feel, like, super important. Like, oh, I'm teaching mom or dad this. Right. Yeah. So that's what's super important. One of the other tools that I think is just a spectacular tool that's online is Urban Dictionary. So for anyone that doesn't know what Urban Dictionary is, you can Google Urban Dictionary. Urban Dictionary is an online tool where you can put the words that you see your child texting or using on social media, and it will give you the English translation. Right. So just, to, just so you know, as parents, it's not an actual dictionary. So don't give that to your children to go use to look up words because it's actually, uh, I guess, it's a, an in thing for children, for kids, for teenagers or young adults. And it's actually really funny, but that's like, like Chuck said, it's a great resource for you to know the language that they use when they text each other or the stuff they're putting out on social media or receiving. 
Um, I guarantee you, your children are using it. And so you might as well become familiar with what that website is, what it looks like, and what it can help you discover. So if you see your child typing something like CB9 and you don't know what that means, you can go to Urban Dictionary, type in CB9, and it'll tell you that it means parents are in the vicinity, stop talking about something. Right. And that'll give you a clue that your child was talking about something maybe they shouldn't be. There's codes, specific codes out there that telling children to undress and take photographs of themselves. There's codes out there that talks about sex acts. There's even emoji speech that, you, that is out there right now, and you have to learn that stuff. You can look up emoji speech. So there's certain emojis that we see at our phone, and we go, why is that there? I don't think I'd ever use an eggplant. Well, the eggplant actually means something. I know if there's any teenagers listening to this right now, they're probably rolling down laughing at this point. <laughs> they know what that eggplant means. But for parents that don't know what that eggplant means, it's referring to the male anatomy. Right. And that's probably something you want to know, right? If someone's texting your teenage son or daughter that, you want to know what the context behind that was. Um, so that's, that's a great resource for you to go out there and learn the language that these kids are using on phones, on social media, and things like that. Um, and, and it may not even be your child using it. It may be um, just the people they follow. But right. you still want to know, you know, who they're connected with, what, what they're allowing to come into their, you know, circle of influence. So a great resource that's out there right now for parents, because I know, that you, especially when we start talking about social media, for a child, for any child, you know, their child disability or not, we, parents are getting overwhelmed. So I'll tell you, a great resource that parents can use is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Their website, which is missingkids.org, has a lot of information out there and more than just information about what to do if your child's missing. The program I like on there is called Net Smart Kids and it's spelled N-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-Z, K-I-T-Z. And that program is right there. You can click on it from the missingkids.org website. And that is a age appropriate tool of games and videos that you can do with your child, any child. Mm -hmm. And it's age appropriate, so depending on your child's ability for understanding, there's different programming on there. There's Clicky the Robot for people that, for young children or people that have a lower level of understanding, all the way up to material you would normally see on Nickelodeon for teens. And those programs and games and videos that are on there teach children etiquette and also teach children about the dangers of online communications and social media is when it comes to individuals that are having predatory practices on there, as well as other information is on the NCMEC site. So there's even information specifically for resources for children with autism. Right. Yeah. There is so much important and useful information on that website. I mean, you could spend hours on there. Um, so we'd encourage you if you have a child with a disability, and even if you don't, that's a great place for you to go and find some very good information that you can sh share even with your family members, with your friends. Um, and like I said, you can spend so much time there. That uh, Net Smarts Kids program is actually really neat too. Um, and, and Chuck said it, do it with your children so that you can see what they're learning because they may have questions afterwards and if you're not familiar with what they just uh tutorial they went through or game they played then you won't be able to properly answer that so you can help expand on what they're learning on there so
So, and then there are other resources out there that we're going to load onto our websites. My website is chuckpaulllc.org, excuse me.com. And A21's website is A21freedomchasers.org. So CC has introduced me to a resource, an online resource out there, which is a study that has all kinds of information on resources for parents of children with disabilities. Everything with how do you talk to your children about appropriate sexual action, appropriate uh, sexual inter interactions, how to talk to your child about exploitation, information that is important specifically to parents with children with disabilities. And it was, how many pages did you say it was, that report? It was about 43. So it's got a lot of useful information. It, it also has some great resources listed on there, like books mm -hmm. that you can purchase to um, specifically talk about sexuality with your children with disabilities, and even adults, um, you know, teenagers and things like that. It just, it has so much information, but we'll definitely lift, list the website so that you can go on there and look through it at your own time. Um, yeah, I'd encourage everyone to do that because like I said, there's so many good resources you can use off of that study. And when, it, when in doubt, when all else fails, in today's world, parents, if you don't know this, if you don't know how to do something or you don't know what something means or you have a question about something, YouTube it. Right. YouTube <laughs> is also a very good resource for anything in life. <laughs> there are things on YouTube, well, some things that are inappropriate, but on YouTube, you can pretty much find how to fix anything or what certain things mean or what what's going on with certain with today's with today's interactions. I know that there are several times when I've been like, oh, this is broken. How do I fix it? And I go and look it up on YouTube and there's a video on there for somebody on how to fix it. There's lots of videos out there about human trafficking. And there are also videos that link to resources that are out there. So it's another resource that you can use. I want to say that these sites like NICMAC, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Rape Crisis Center, YouTube, and these, these things that we talk about using. These are tools that are out there for anyone to use. None of them are being paid by paying us to promote them or talk about their resources. These are all tools that I currently use in my fight against human trafficking and begin to understand what's going on out there. It's tools that I refer parents to out there to use because these are free tools. So I don't want anybody to think that we're actually getting anything for this when we talk about these things that are out there. The point of these talks is for people to be able to hear what's out there, what's going on, as well as we want you to give us comments. Right. Thanks for mentioning that, Chuck. That's super important. Um, and we mentioned these resources because we know they're reputable resources. They're not, um, you know, just some organization that popped up and, and we're just not sure about. No, these are folks who have done the work, put in the work. Uh, and the research research for the rest of us to learn. And so we've been educated by those resources as well. So thanks for mentioning that. So again, just to kind of wrap up um, on this topic with you know, human trafficking and how it, how it pertains to persons with disabilities, as we know it now, there's not enough research to actually show that there's a higher number of people with disabilities that are targeted. But we will say that because they fall into the uh, vulnerable, uh, you know, just word there that they do fall into the category of people who would be trafficked. Um, and so some of the most important things that you want to remember as a parent 
is that we know that you're going to parent your child for the rest of your life. Um, and so some of the things that we want you to remember is to stay connected, constant communication, know who their friends are, um, and who their friends' caregivers are, because you know that's super important. And, and just be mindful that if they're having behavior changes, because you know them better than anyone else, you want to pay attention to that. And so some of the things that you can do if you do um, notice behavior changes is, is stay, stay on them, right? Don't, don't lose contact with them. Be that pesky parent that still asks the questions and stays involved. There's a huge difference between a helicopter parent and someone who hovers over the top of a child and a parent that stays protective is a protective, connective parent. Mm -hmm. and, and that parent that's engaged with the child and, and maintaining to love them, even when they're getting pushed away, that's that parent that's going to be able to become that connected person that's going to be able to intercede when they do see situations where someone's trying to exploit them. That's going to keep your help keep your child. That's a huge resource of keeping your child out of the hands of people that are going to force them to do the things, labor or sexual, where they could possibly be trafficked. Chuck, if there's a parent that feels like something's going on in their child's life, what should they do? So what they should do is, first off, I would tell you is go ahead and go to the National Center for Missing Exploited Children website. Get on there, look at those resources. Another great resource is Polaris Project, which is the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. You can actually get on there and report the activity on the National Human Trafficking Resource Center site that you've got this going on. It will get to law enforcement or they can help connect you with what resources are available in your part of the country. Someone may be listening to this might be in a different part of the country. National Center or National Human Trafficking Resource Center will be able to tell you what's available out there in your area. The other big thing is never be afraid to get the police involved. You're not bothering the police. Mm -hmm. Find out what, find out who the experts are in your area. And the only way you're going to do that is that you're going to have to do your own research. Mm -hmm. Sorry, right. I say the term parent detective because it's a reason. You have to be able to go out there and do research. No one is going to be the biggest advocate for your child than you. So if you feel like there's something going on with your child, like Chuck said, reach out, get some help, do the research, and see if, I know there's checklists out there that you can run through to see if your child meets any of those behaviors. Um, and as always, you know, Chuck is always offering information on his site as well, so you can also, also go out there and we will promote that. Red Flags is a great resource, so use the things that we are offering you that are at your fingertips. Thank you.